Hello and welcome to the Network Collective Community Roundtable. Jody Lemoyne and Bruno Woolman are joining me today to chat about some of their lessons learned as they transitioned into independent self-employment in the networking space. Before getting started, I wanted to take a moment to remind you about the Network Collective Community Membership. Our members have access to some excellent exclusive content, as well as a private, members-only Slack channel to engage, learn, and collaborate with other excellent networkers. To see all the advantages that membership brings, head over to thenetworkcollective.com slash join to check it out for yourself. Uh, well, thanks for joining me today, guys. It's nice to have you here. Jody, I understand you've been traveling all over the world and upgrading all of the switches recently. What's that all about? Uh, well, yeah, that was an interesting one. Uh, I have one customer who um, had some very out-of-date software on their switches, and they'd been holding off on it for so long because they didn't want the downtime. That's a story we've all heard, I'm sure. Yeah. But uh, we finally got to the point that it was a fairly major upgrade, and they were panicking that the switches wouldn't come back when we did the upgrade. Uh, I tried to reassure, but... Uh, yeah, People are going to be paranoid where they're going to be paranoid. And uh, they wanted me on site for this. Well, one of those locations is only about an hour's drive away from me. So that wasn't a problem. We went up there one in the morning, got everything taken care of. No problem. The other one was in Newport, Wales. Nice. <laughs> so I got to uh, take a flight over to Newport to spend about three hours in the middle of the night reloading some switches. Uh, uh that sounds like an excellent reason to go to Wales. And why not? You know, why and, not? <laughs> and uh, needless to say, they came back just fine. <laughs> Everything so all, upgraded. All, all of this, and it would have worked perfectly fine remotely. I, I'm thinking. I'm thinking. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. I, yeah. You. You and your free travel here. I'm thinking. I'm thinking. Uh, I'm thinking a console server might have been cheaper too. <laughs> well, yeah, that would have been great too. Yeah. But... Uh, yeah. All right. But uh, anyway, so we got to do this, and uh, the the nice thing about being self-employed is that I'm not relying on any company's travel department to arrange things for me. I just incorporate it into my billing, and I arrange my own travel. So so you flew first class, and it was... No, no, I've got this horrible (laughs) ethical conundrum where I actually don't gouge my customers too much, (laughs) but I was able to... uh, I was able to organize things in such a way that I could do a layover in Dublin and visit my eldest son who's studying there. Oh, that's so fantastic. That was a real plus. Got to spend a day with him. I haven't seen him since Christmas, so it was really good. And then uh, flew out on the Saturday, and I'm off again on Monday. Nice. So, Bruno, uh, this is your first time on the show, so welcome. Uh, it's good to have you here. Um, Thank you so- for having me. Absolutely. So we're we're talking today about independent self-employment. Now I'm gonna I'm just wanna kinda like lay some of the groundwork here. First, both of you are Canadian. And that's gonna matter in this conversation because I think that there's gonna be some contrasts as it relates to you know, the large majority of our listeners are from uh, from the US. Uh, obviously we have a, a very large, you know, Canadian population that listens as well, and we have people that listen all over the world. So I think it's important to to keep those that that context in mind as we talk about this because i think there are different challenges in different places um but it is interesting that when i thought of two people that i can invite on to talk about independent self uh employment that the first two that came to mind were both canadian so there might be something there that makes it a uh, I, I won't say easier because easier is not a fair word for it um but there may be there may be some you know additional encouragement or uh <laughs> lack of 
uh, of challenges or things that may that you may face that don't exist in other places. And I think we're going to talk about that later. But before we get there, let's start with your story, Bruno. Like, what was your path? I mean, did you start working, you know, for somebody else and then transition into independent? Or did you just like go right in, right out of school? Or like, wh what's your story? How did you get into this, this idea of kind of doing networking on your own and being your own boss? Yeah. Um, so for me, the first um, seven, eight years of my career, I was uh, in enterprise networking. I was, uh, you know, gainfully employed at uh, a couple different places. And uh, before I went independent, it was actually uh, 10 years at, uh, at one location. It was a healthcare provider. And uh, I was getting to the point in my career where I was uh, I was unhappy with my pay and, and unhappy with the situation. Um, you know, I felt my like my uh, output uh, deserved uh, higher pay, especially since there was other uh, private contractors working for the same uh, healthcare provider, albeit in different areas of, uh, of the organization. Um, it, it was a way uh, to bring more uh, money into the household. Um, uh, I had uh, gone to talk to my boss uh, numerous times about, you know, what can they do to to increase the pay and things like that. And there, there was nothing they could do. They uh, they had their pay bans and, and couldn't deviate from them. And uh, it was a union position, so it would have been even harder to deviate from those, uh, those pay bans. So there was nothing they could do. So eventually I just uh, um, made it known that I was... Uh, available. I put myself on the market and uh, some contracting opportunities along with employment. Uh, you know, being an employee uh, came up and I weighed the options of both and decided to go independent. That's interesting. Uh, Jody, how about you? Is your story similar or? Uh, not really. Uh, they stay the same as far as being in the enterprise space for the longest time. I've, I've worked for vendors. I've worked for larger companies uh, in various fields. But it was back in the, probably the late 1990s that uh, we were living in Toronto, fairly large city. Uh, we had kids and neither my wife nor I come from a large city. And so raising kids in large city was not really something we were comfortable about. And then in the early 2000s, our second son came along. And uh, we spent a couple more years there, and by the mid-2000s, we decided, no, this, this isn't where we want to be. So we found a small town, about an hour, hour and a half outside of the city, and we picked up and we moved there. Now, this comes as a big surprise to a lot of people, I'm sure, but when you're living rurally, there aren't a whole lot of enterprise IT positions, particularly not for networking specialists. Who knew? So I was faced with the situation of either commuting into the city and my wife commutes into the city fairly regularly now and it takes a horrible, horrible toll. Having both of us do that would not be a good position for our family. And so I looked around a bit and I found that there were a whole lot of companies out there that need someone who's really good with networking some of the time. Not all the time, just some of the time. But I figure if I have 5, 10, 15 of those who need me some of the time, well, that adds up to all of the time. And so it took a little while to get going, but uh, now between other IT companies who just have need for a specialist every so often and 
other companies I've just met through networking that just want a second level representative to take care of things that their IT department can't, I keep myself afloat. So you, you said mid 2000, so you're over 10 years of doing, of doing this particular model. Oh yeah. I, uh, I started independently uh, about 2004, uh, for various tax reasons incorporated in 07. Okay. So, so but I, effectively it's been what, that's 15 years, 15 years. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Bruno, how about you? How long have you been doing it? Uh, since 2008. So it's, uh, yeah, I just had my you 11th anniversary, yeah. uh, this summer. So, I mean, I imagine, I, I think this is a question that, that's out there, but I imagine after a decade of doing it, like you guys are in, right? Like, do you guys have any plans to not do this in the future? Or is this, is this what you're doing? My plan is to keep doing this as long as I can. I plan on, uh, you know, earning money doing this as uh, even well into retirement and hopefully someday get well enough known that if I, uh, you know, want to travel and, and uh, you know, go somewhere and live for six months, I can pick up a short-term contract and work that. Um, it just so happens that my wife is also self-employed in the uh, um, health and wellness business. So we kind of have this plan in the future, you know, 15, 20 years from now to uh, both take our shows on the road and kind of work and holiday and you know, the digital the world at the same thing. time. Nice. Yeah. That sounds appealing. Yeah. Jody, you're quitting tomorrow, right? <laughs> no, no, alas, no. <laughs> I hear your boss is a real jerk. Hey, my boss, oh man, this guy, he gets, an, he, he gets an idea in his head at two in the morning, guess who he's got working up on it. Of course, There's no yeah. saying no to him. Like, you know, just say, you know, just, you can't deal with this guy. Anyway, um, he's, uh, yeah, to carry on to answer the question you threw at Bruno, um, I got to say there are times when I look at the whole uh, going off to work for the big company thing and, and kind of wondering if maybe I should go back because there are some downsides to this whole thing. But, I mean, that, that's a good segue. Yeah. So what, what are those? What, what are some of those that you've, you've figured out? And I, I want to know, so I think some of them might be obvious. I still think we should talk about those, but I want to know the ones that kind of snuck up on you. What are some of the things that, that maybe were lessons learned that you, you weren't expecting? Uh, one of the big ones is just exposure. Um, when you're working as an independent consultant, chances are you're working on the things that don't require the team to be on it 100% all the time. So when you start talking about the big data center networking and the storage networking and all of the, the really huge cloud computing projects and stuff like that, they tend to get their own teams for that sort of thing. Or they hire out non-independent consultants, like the, the big consulting firms where they can bring a team in to make it happen. So I find that maybe I'm not getting as much exposure to some of the more advanced technologies that I would be if I weren't independent. So a bit typecast? A little bit. Yeah. Interesting. I've actually bit. had the opposite experience to that. Um, I re recently switched uh, contracts three years ago, and uh, I left... Uh, one place and move to another place for a long-term contract to build them a brand new data center network and, and uh, do the migration from their old one to the new one. And, uh, you know, now they have me upgrading some other data center networks and, and looking at uh, some newer technologies, uh, you know, bringing in some possibly uh, software-defined networking and evaluating some of that stuff. So I, I've, uh, 
the contracts I've found, I've been kind of the go-to guy uh, brought in to, you know, lead a team of, you know, one or two um, network designers or architects to um, keep the project moving forward. And it sounds like you guys are approaching this uh, slightly differently. It sounds like your mm-hmm. your your engagements are a bit longer term. They're contract based. You're still independent, but you're going in. You're working for someplace, you know, six months plus to do what, whatever project they have. Uh, Jody's angle is kind of find those medium sized small businesses that need a networking expert on occasion and be the networking on occasion for a broad customer base. That's interesting that, you know, I mean, obviously there's lots of ways to go and, and be independent and be your own boss. I think we've got a couple of them represented here, but I think there's probably many, many more, but it's interesting here. The differences based off of the approach that you went. Right? Well, yeah. If you're, if you're 100% full time on short term contracts or midterm contracts, then yeah, you've got a little bit more of an advantage there, but uh, on the other hand, you're working exclusively for one company for that period of time, generally. Right. And generally. pros and cons, right? Yeah. And and most recently, uh, for this one, uh, for this one company, uh, I dropped down to eighty percent um, to take on a contract for another smaller uh, smaller place where I could uh, go in, and I worked for them for about six to eight months to um, to do a WAN uh, WAN optimization uh, project for them, uh, WAN upgrade and when improvement and, and things like that. So it's, there is some flexibility around that too. Um, so the, the longer I've, I've done this, um, the more opportunities that seem to prevent themselves. The only problem with that is that I, uh, I'm increasing number of customers, but I can't increase uh, hours in a day. So it's, uh, right. it's tough filling, uh, filling all those roles. In a very limited fashion. Yeah. Jody, do you have that problem? I do. Okay. I do one of the, but one of the nice things about uh, how I do things, where it's, uh, I'm paid on deliverable, not so much on time. So if I need to stack my day here and there and, and work ten, twelve hours, hopefully not regularly, but uh, if I have a couple days of the week where I have to do long days to bring the deliverable deliverables under control, then I can do that. Yeah, I mean, I don't, you know, I think long days, like that's a pretty, pretty common in our industry, whether you're independent or not. <laughs> like True. it's not, a, you yeah. know, it's not one of those things Agreed. that uh, I think is exclusive or, 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 you know, I don't even see how it's all that much different. Now, I, I, I come from a uh, consultant basis, but with a company, right? So the idea is I'm not independent. I work for somebody. Someone sends me a paycheck every couple of weeks. Um, so long as that keeps showing up, I keep showing up and doing whatever work they ask me to do. They go out and find the customers, they go up and set the deals and I just kind of show up where I'm needed. Um, what do you, what has your experience been in building a customer base, right? Because the, you both come from backgrounds of being network engineers, people who do networking. Now you're responsible for a lot of business tasks and, and marketing and getting yourself out there and, and finding customers and, and, and doing all the things that need to happen for just your traditional business. Like there's not, any, when it's just you, there's no one else to do that. So what has your experience been there? Has it been a positive thing? Has it been fun to learn it? Has it, it's just an absolute pain? What is it? What do you think? The getting the customers is actually, it was a lot easier than I thought. Um, word of mouth and networking really, really went a long way. And one of the cool things about IT is that it tends to have a little bit of a turnover when it comes to uh, employees. Good thing about that, if you're an an independent consultant, is that when the guy you're working with or the lady you're working with leaves, goes to another company, well, guess who winds up calling you? Right. 
So these, these things have a way of perpetuating themselves as long as you have a sense of excellence in what you do. I, I've found the exact same thing. Um, word of mouth, doing, doing good work and, um, you know, being reliable, um, approachable, um, being willing to teach the staff that's already there. Like uh, I'm, I'm augmenting their current networking team in a lot, a lot of times. Um, I share as much knowledge as I can at the same time. I learn what I can so I can take it wherever I go, but just being uh, open, honest, approachable, um, just being a good human. Uh, basically it's uh, worked out well as far as finding uh, um, a customer base. Yeah. Integrity really, really means something when it's just you. Yeah. Yeah, It's your brand, right? Like it's kind (laughs) of, you you have the ability to tank it pretty quickly, right? (laughs) You do, you do. And, and the other thing is you have to have humility because sometimes, sometimes you're going to drop the ball. It it happens. Sometimes you are. And the customer is always going to respect you 100% if you just come right out and say, Hey, I dropped the ball and I'm going to fix it. Uh, I never imagined you dropping the ball, Jody. <laughs> Not that I've it. noticed. <laughs> Someone usually does, though. I mean, was there a time early on? I think, you know, ultimately, I would like to be independent. Like, that, that's like a, a long-term goal for myself. But the idea, you know, my concern is that transition between the two. Um, and so when I think about independent, maybe not quite what Bruno's doing, but maybe maybe that's the way to go, right? But the idea of of kind of more what Jody's doing, having customers doing, you know, independent contracting, just whoever needs help, jump in and help them and kind of building up a customer base that way. Was there ever a time that you were, you know, you were worried about cash flow? Like, like when you started, because I mean, you don't start with a bunch of customers, like once word of mouth gets around, that's great. And once you earn a reputation, that's great. That's how every business out there has been built. There's that time between when you say, I'm going to do this and the time that you have a reputation that goes beyond just a couple of, of buddies that know you. Um, that I think that that's the real risk point, right? And and what was that experience like for you guys? Did you have concerns or did you already have enough built in that you just weren't too worried about it? Oh, no, I was, uh, for me, there was uh, worry there. Just just the way, uh, the way I get paid and the way the billing cycles go, I went almost, uh, almost two full months without seeing a paycheck in between leaving, uh, leaving the enterprise job and, and uh, earning my first paycheck uh, as a consultant. So uh, what I did there was uh, I called my bank and, uh, you know, got forgiven on uh, one or two months of mortgage payments. Um, I canceled my uh, my uh, cable subscription. Um, you know, there was, uh, you know, just to fill that gap for those uh, two months. Um, you know, I don't know. It sounds like a lot of families are in the same situation, but uh, at the time, uh, you know, heads above water, paying a mortgage and, and other stuff like that. Thankfully, uh, we didn't have uh, credit card debt, but uh, I can see how that would be, uh, you know, a huge stressor if uh, people were in big debt and needed to take uh, wait two months for a paycheck. But just to make uh, life easier, yeah, there was uh, payments that uh, that I got canceled or deferred by the bank for the mortgage and things like that. Interesting. Jody, how about you when you started? I had better circumstances. Uh, I was kind of pushed out the door. Um, the decision to actually make the move came after being laid off. Mm. Um, so we had an office that was basically shutting things down in Toronto, and I was one of the casualties of the layoff, and that was when we made the decision to move out to Niagara-on-the-Lake. And when we did that... Um, 
I basically took my three months of pay that I was given from the job and used that to fuel the business. All right. So there, there wasn't a check coming either way. <laughs> it was sink, sink or swim, uh, sink or swim type scenario. So uh, we've talked about some of the challenges uh, on the other side of that. You know, I think there a lot of people kind of look at this idea of being your own boss and there's some benefits to come with that. Um, have those benefits lived up to your expectations? So one of, one of the main reasons, like earlier, you know, at the start of the, the show here, uh, I listed as being unhappy with my uh, current situation in enterprise networking is one of the main drivers uh, that I left. And while that's true, one of the other ones was um, access to uh, training and betterment and personal development and stuff like that. It seems in the last number of years that uh, that is severely gone by the wayside. Unless unless you're a business that earns money off the network, it doesn't seem like people are getting sent away for training anymore, or uh, you know, learning uh, you know learning opportunities and things like that. Travel budgets are uh, severely cut. So one of the things that I do is, uh, you know, when money's coming in, I set it aside for my own uh, personal and professional growth. So that that has been a huge advantage. You know, attending conferences, uh, paying for uh, courses, uh, certifications, thing, things like that, um, that I don't see uh, my counterparts who are uh, employees get near as much as they used to in the past. So, so for me, that has been a, a big advantage. Yes. Yeah, for better or for worse, you're in charge of your own budget. Yeah. So, so I mean, I, I, I could see that. I mean, like, I think that's going to be, you know, uh, dependent upon the environment. There, there are some places, I mean, so I get to work in a lot of different environments. There's some places that do well with training. There are some places that do very, very poorly with it. But I think overall, it's gone down uh, when compared to when I started my career. It seems to mm-hmm. it seems to be on the decline. I think a lot of it is now remote. And I think the challenge with remote is you have to have the time. So people just assume that because we bought this remote course that that's training, but they never give you the week to sit down and actually do the work that it takes to, to go through it. So great, we bought the training, yeah. but but no one actually has the time to consume it or work through it. Yeah. And, and the um, downside is you uh, the downside on the self-employment side is yeah, you can budget for the training, but sometimes the time over subscription doesn't allow it there either. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, still still a challenge and when you are time oversubscribed and you choose to take that chunk out and do that, that's that's money that's not coming to you that's that's time that you're spending that's that's i mean it's 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 investment right but it's still you're not profitable uh in those hours for that particular point in time unless you're doing it off hours and not affecting client time or however you're doing it i guess with jody's model he's still uh, profitable because he's charging by job i i i build by hour which yeah. is something i am trying to get away from i, I want to find customers who are willing to do uh you know, per job billing um, or value-based billing, whatever whatever uh, the industry wants to call it, but instead of uh, hourly. But yeah, no, you're absolutely right there in my case, Jordan. If uh, if I'm not sitting in the cubicle working on something or sitting at home working on it, it's not billable time. There's also a, uh, a hard division in how I do things between project work and troubleshooting work. Uh, project work always has flat billing uh, based on the project. And troubleshooting work is always by the hour. But for the troubleshooting work, customers pay for availability. Like if 
if the customer has not paid for it, they don't have the right to wake me up at two in the morning. Right. They just don't. So I have a number of customers who are actually on retainers and those retainers actually are essentially paying for the right to wake me up at two in the morning if something explodes. Right. And depending on now, I mean, I don't know if you do this way, but depending on how, how broad of a time frame when you'll pick up the phone, I'm assuming those retainers become more expensive. They do. Yeah. They so do. Like, so like you, you offer like an eight to five or, or something like that versus a uh, versus a 24 seven and the 24 seven ends up being a, a much higher price tag just because of your. Exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. So when you have a number of those retainers set up, which usually hang off of the project work, uh, then, yeah, in some cases you can go do that training and still have some money coming in just based on that because the retainers are charged re- regardless of whether the time is actually used or not. Yeah, it seems like a nice model. <laughs> All right. I think it's a nice model for lots of reasons. Uh, when you talk about retainers, uh, first for you as the, you know, as, as the business, as the, as the independent person, it's a steady source of income. It just is, you know, it is what it is for the business. They don't have to go back to a PO every single time that something comes up That's for them. True. There's, there's a, a level of convenience They can, they know they can just pick up the phone and call you, whether it's troubleshooting or some sort of, you know, project related question or whatever. The idea is if you have a number of hours and, and there's a reason how you there, will yeah, use them how you want mm-hmm. to, because you, that's what you've paid for. Um, but the reality is, is that they won't be used every month. And so because of that, you have, you know, I will say not all of them. I imagine some customers are very diligent about using every, every possible hour every month. But at the same time, I think a lot of it's just an insurance policy. Yeah. And, and I'm also, well, the nice thing about working with an independent is that we're not necessarily uh, the accounting department taking care of it. So if I've got a customer with a five-hour retainer and every month for a year they use two of them, but one month they use seven or eight because something big's going on, I'm not going to worry about it. Right. Yeah. You can make those calls Mm -hmm. because you're not, you know, inflexible, uh, like a big company might be just because like, well, how do you, how do you make these exceptions? Who do we bill it against? How does that work? You know, like for you, you can Mm -hmm. make that judgment call and be like, no, we're good. We're just going to do this and we'll we'll be fine. Just a little, little kind note, letting them know that they did go over the hours just so they're aware, but don't, don't worry about it. Right. That makes sense. And that, that actually goes a long way to securing their loyalty, too. Well, I imagine that. To, to know mm-hmm. that, hey, you know, I'm not going to spend this money, or I spend this money every month. I don't necessarily use it all the time. But if it really does hit the fan, <laughs> you and know, that. like, we know that there's going to be an equitable exchange here, right? Just mm-hmm. we know the person who's on the other end. I think that that's a good point. Bruno, were you starting to jump into there with something? Jody's model there where he's got retainers is something I'm, uh, I've been soft-selling to uh, some clients lately. Um, there, there's a lot of interest there, but everything moves slow in summer, so it's uh, probably have to ramp that up in September, October. Everything moves slow all the time. <laughs> Every, everything you do. So what? So I guess on the retainer model, you're being paid up front. Uh, do you guys? Is I mean, so with contract work, you're going to be paid uh, based off of whatever's in the contract. Jody, you set up arrangements that's based off the project. I'm assuming mm-hmm. that like it's going to be you know some sort of deposit up front, some sort of payment when it's complete, like both get in the game or do you bill all up front bill all at the end like how do you do that um it depends on what's going on if there's hardware involved and i have to procure it that's billed up front sure uh if it's purely services it's it's billed on the back end depending on how familiar i am with the customer 
Like if they're a brand new customer I've never heard of and never dealt with, well, yeah, we're going to talk about some upfront. But if they're customers I've been dealing with for years, I just invoice them after the work and they pay me. Gotcha. Have you ever had issues with people not paying or any of those types of things? I think that would be like a huge concern, right? You've invested a week or two weeks worth of time on a project. It all comes up. You send the invoice and all of a sudden they ghost you and, and there's there's no call back. And I'm, I'm saying this only because with Network Collective and some of the stuff that we do, we were some very large companies with very large uh, um, AP uh, uh, you know, groups and like, it doesn't matter what terms you have. Their terms can be as long as 120 days or, right. you know, some ridiculous number of, of days when the contract is net 30, but you're going to get paid in six months. Good luck. You know, <laughs> like, yeah. And, uh, um, and like, you ever fight anything with like, like that? I've had it happen once or twice with very small billings. Okay. So, so nothing that was, that was a big deal to you or, or consequential, but it has happened. It has happened, and in those cases, I've generally just written it off and said, I'm just never dealing with those people again. Gotcha. It wasn't something that sent you to the food bank, which is good? No, no, nothing nothing huge. Now, one of the things I do do on all of my invoices, um, every single one of them, is I point out that the terms are, in fact, net 15 days. Hmm. Um but I also point out on the invoices that uh, I don't actually start getting concerned about it until it goes after 30. But on every invoice, they get charged 1.5% of the value per month on anything over 30. Interesting. Yeah, I, I think that there's a, a hesitancy to do that in a lot of businesses only because of the idea that, oh, if I start charging penalties on whatever that... I'm going to lose customers or they'll be, they'll be frustrated. But in fairness, I mean, the terms are the terms they should be paying based off the terms that they agreed to at the front of the project. So yeah, it's exactly. Uh, and, and again, I've got the ability to be flexible. So if I have a customer that calls me at 20 days saying, look, wrestling with the accounting department, I'm not going to be able to get it to you before 45. It's like, thanks for letting me know. No problem. And I don't charge the, I don't charge the interest, <laughs> but the expectations are set up front, and as long as there's communication involved, I'm happy to make exception. If you guys, and, and Bruno, we'll start with you on this, um, were to pick one skill that you think is absolutely must-have requirement for someone who is going to go independent, what do you think that skill is? Well, I, I, I would think that would be, uh, it'd have, it would have to be soft skills. Like, pick one, it would have to be uh, communication. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to go with uh, communication and, and any other soft skills, writing, um, presenting, all that kind of stuff. It's uh, soft skills are, have been, um, I'm, like I've, I find myself, I'm strong technically as well, but uh, my, my soft skills is what uh, keeps the money rolling in and the contracts coming in and things like that. Yeah. I'll back that. People want to work with you, they're going to work with you. That's true. There's a lot of truth there. I actually have uh, I have an issue with the way that that's termed soft skills. It's kind of been a conversation that's been happening lately, only because of the fact that I don't consider them soft at all. Um, it kind of makes them sound like they're less important or somehow mm -hmm. less difficult to learn. And I think it's the exact opposite. I think a lot of people can learn technical stuff. Not a lot of people are very good at communicating. Uh, there's a yeah. lot of there's a lot of people that seem to fall down on on, on that front. Um, and other soft skills about influence and um, yeah, there's a whole long list of ideas of what's considered a soft skill. Um, 
and I and I just I really don't like that term at all because I I think it assigns a rank uh, mm-hmm. to what they are. And and I just asked you what was the most important skill, and you didn't go to technology. It's not about being the best engineer in the world. It's not about being, you know, the most knowledgeable or having the broadest level of experiences about communication. That's the skill you have to have. Mm-hmm. That that to me says it's not a soft thing. That's a hard and fast and needs to <laughs> needs to exist thing. Um, and I'm not picking on you for using the term because obviously that's the accepted term, right? That's what everyone calls right. it. Right. Yeah. But no, understood. You know, like I just I just kind of wanted to call that out because, like, man, I, I it's getting tired. And I know, like, this is this has been been hot recently. Um. Uh, on Twitter, there's been some things going around about about the idea of soft skills not being soft. So I, I know I'm I'm probably preaching a bit to the choir. Uh, I don't know if soft is so much less important as harder as just harder to define. I think the challenge is that uh, when you when you put soft skills up against engineering, it's like the engineering is the real work, and the soft skills is just telling what the work was, or or selling the work or whatever. Mm. And that's not the way that it works. Like the, if you no. can do the work, but you can't communicate anything about the work, the work is useless. Like it, it's, it's I mean, they're useful for, uh, absolutely. I, I mean, communication, I won't call them soft skills anymore, but, uh, communication skills and active listening are, um, it's not just, saying how you're going to deliver your work or anything like that. It's, it's a key component of delivering successful to technical work, you know, um, great communication skills and active listening skills are, uh, um, vitally important to gathering requirements and, uh, you know, talking to your users, whether they be, uh, uh, the business owners, um, management, um, application developers, anything like that, like just, being able to communicate uh, at all of those levels uh, to glean the information you need to uh, provide a, you know, a solid and accurate technical solution. You know, there, I don't think that can be done unless you're, uh, unless somebody's doing that communicating for you, doing all that translating for you and just telling you, okay, build this. Right. And when you're self-employed, that's not happening. <laughs> right. And it so in there are things like negotiation. And I'm not even talking about I'm not even talking about money. I'm mm-hmm. talking about negotiation in so much as figuring out what is in a sale. Like when we when we develop what I'm going to deliver to you, how do we have a conversation where there's give and take and understanding of what it is that's going to be delivered? If it's something I can't deliver, how do I communicate that to you in such a way that it's not just like, no, I'm not going to do that, but instead, like here I can't do that, but I can do this. Uh, like all those things are important because they they set up and establish a baseline of communication between you and the customer where you can. Uh, you can both protect yourself and make sure the customer has realistic expectations. And if you don't have those things, like, your your projects are going to fail, whether they're long-term contracts or, or short-term or, or engagement with smaller companies and, and broader. It doesn't really matter. Ultimately, everyone needs to have an understanding of what's going to be delivered. And like Jody said, like you're like owning your mistake. Like there's a lot of soft skills in doing that well, because if you just came in and just, you know, I blew it up and that's just the way that it is. Well, that's not owning. That's well, I mean, owning. it is owning it. I mean, you're saying it was me, but that's not solving the problem, right? It's not understanding the, you know, what what needs to be delivered to the customer. And I think we see this a lot. And I, so I think that I think that that is, you know, one of those things. I don't think it's just true in in independent though. I mean, I, I think it's critically important, and I agree with what you said. I, I just think that that is true across the board. 
Agreed. It is true across the board, the, uh, but in a larger organization, the weight is distributed. Well, and I think that's the that's the heavy burden of being independent is the fact that you have to be able to do mm-hmm. all of the things. You have to you either that or you're going to pay for them. Right, which is going to make which is going to make the process harder. Mm-hmm. And when I say that, so like you have to be an accountant to some degree. You're not going to be the accountant, but you have to be able to keep an eye on your books and understand cash flow, you know, understand projections and understand where your business is at, so that you can be wise about the things that you're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you need you need to have some acumen for marketing because you said it was word of mouth and you said it was reputation and those things matter. So it's not marketing in the traditional sense of going out and buying an ad. No, but your brand has value because of your reputation, like owning that and building that and curating that is a skill. Yep. It's not something that just happens on its own. And so like that is one of those things. And so you have to do that. And then all of a sudden, like the, all of the things that happen in your typical office environment, you're going to touch. <laughs> you're you're gonna, like you don't get to you don't get to skip any of those things. You have to do them or you have to pay somebody to do it and say, OK, well, I'm definitely not the expert you know, bookkeeper. I got to pay somebody to do that. I, I can't do the taxes myself. Mm-hmm. I've got to pay somebody to do that. And if you just start paying everybody to have all those skills, well, then it's going to be even harder to be independent because all your money is going to be going out the door to other people. Although ultimately that's what you have to do. Like ultimately, if you're going to focus on being a specialist doing what you do and you go self-employed initially, yeah, you can play with your own books initially. Yeah. You can, you can do all of those things, but eventually there does come a point where unless you want to get bogged down in the things that you're not good at, you oh, have to hire the accountant. You have to hire the bookkeeper. You have to hire all of those people and just consider right. it a oh, cost yeah. of doing business. Because you can make more money than you're paying. Oh, that, I that mean, that's, time. The, that's the key thing too, is right analyzing your time, like where your time is best spent, yeah. and and utilizing your skills, whatever generates money. Because if you can generate more money, you can pay for all kinds of things. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and to add, uh, like you were talking purely financial there with accountants and taxes, I would add uh, legal to that as well find a good lawyer yeah don't 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 try to be your own Mm -hmm. lawyer that's a bad idea well even like even for uh you know creating terms and conditions and statements Mm -hmm. of work and stuff like that like you know have a lawyer someone you trust uh help you with those templates there's lots of free templates like that on the internet but um you know for the specific location that you work in for your region whatever corner of the world make sure it's applicable there Yep. If you want to save yourself some legal costs, yeah, be your own lawyer as far as re- doing some research and nailing it down, but then take it to a lawyer and say, here's the summary of right. what I want exactly. to do. Exactly. Yeah, right. that makes a lot of sense. I think location is, is another one of those things. I and mean, we kind of mentioned it at the top of the show. <clears throat> and it's interesting that you guys are both from Canada because uh, it, in America, I think there are some additional challenges and I won't call them unique. I will call them different than what you guys face when it comes uh, to very specific things, when there's a tax penalty for being self-employed, I won't call it really, uh, maybe penalty is the wrong word, but the idea is the taxes that you pay by being an employee is less by percentage than the taxes you pay by being self-employed. And so there is, there is an additional responsibility that you take on for the things that your employer was paying for, for some of our social safety net type programs. The, the other problem is healthcare. And I mean, that's a, that's a much larger issue, mm-hmm. but healthcare costs in the United States are super expensive. And in addition to being, um, in addition to being expensive, they are often a benefit of your employment. Uh, if you are a full-time employee, 
whereas you know where there are uh, either government subsidized or fully government funded healthcare um, options, it it becomes a lot easier because you don't have to worry about whether or not your child is going to receive the medicine they need, right? Or 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 the things that they need. Mm-hmm. Like it, it ends up being a much larger risk, um, or you end up spending so much money compared to the rest of the world when it comes to going independent. I think that there is there are some barriers that exist here, and so I think locality is important. Like we have two localities broadly represented. But I imagine like you could go country by country by country and identify things that are challenges that don't exist in other countries that you have to consider before making that leap uh, only because right, you have to look at what it's going to cost, what it's actually going to cost. So like in America, I think the premium, if I had to put it somewhere, is going to be in the neighborhood of of 30 to 40 percent when it comes to what you make at work versus what you would have to make to maintain the quality of life that you have today just because healthcare is such a big portion of it. And of course I'm making some broad assumptions about median income and, and other things like it, it may mm-hmm. be less than that. If you make a lot of money, it may be more than that if you don't make a lot of money. Um, but the idea of, of having to cover that yourself and not having those things because they've kind of been baked into the system. They've been baked into the system that being employed by an employer means that you get at least subsidized healthcare. You're going to pay a lot, but so mm-hmm. is your employer. And when you walk right. out the door, guess what? You get to pay both halves of that equation and you don't have the economy scale of your provider, meaning that that bill is actually going to become more expensive for the exact same plan, right? There's, there's all these challenges um, that are that are, are unique to locality based off of these types of things that you end up being responsible for. And they're, they're almost always intersected with government, right? Just the way that the, the, the laws and the rules work in the place that you live. So that's just one of those things I think it's worth considering. Um, I probably honestly would be independent if it weren't for these things right now. Just my personal situation doesn't allow me to take that risk. Um, you know, so for me, I couldn't say, oh, I'm two months and I'll cancel my cable bill because I can't let my health insurance lapse for my daughter. <laughs> right. Like, right. Yeah. No, it, it, it is a little, it is a lot yeah. easier here. Having socialized medicine means, uh, yes, when you go self-employed, you have to do something about a drug plan. But there are independent insurance policies that can be taken out for Mm -hmm. pharmacare. But as far as basic hospitalization and basic medicine, that's that's not a cost factor here. And and it is elsewhere. You know, and I'm not I'm not making a pitch one way or the other. So it's not about politics, it's just about reality, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's just a concern that varies depending on where you are. So I do want to ask the two of you, as we kind of come to the end of the show here. If there is like, you know, one piece of advice you give to somebody who's thinking about making the leap, like what is the thing that you tell them? Like, hey, this is what you need to know. We've talked about the skills already and it might go back to that and that's okay. But the idea is like, if you're going to do it, like this is, this is how you be successful and you only get one piece of advice. So, so you have to be careful about what you choose here. I'm putting you, put them on the spot. So silence. <laughs> uh, I'm going to lay this one out. Um, and it's going to be a bit hypocritical because I still don't think I'm good at it, but time management is absolutely key to everything you do. And I am probably a lot better at it than when I first started, but I've got a long way to go and I could be a lot more profitable if I were better at it. That's really interesting. And I think there's probably a lot of merit to that statement. Uh, Bruno, how about you? What's the piece of advice? Oh. Yeah, that's, I know. Uh, I know. I'm putting you on the spot, man. <laughs> I know. It's, uh, <laughs> well, I keep coming back to the uh, 
to the communication one. And, and at that point, yeah, when you decide to do that, um, it's not only communicating with uh, customers and potential customers, but, um, you know, depending on your family situation, whether you're uh, married or not, you know, if it's single, you know, you only have yourself to consider. If you've got a partner and dependents, you know, make sure you're all on the same page and that, you know, there, there might be times where there's some rough rides or whatever. Make, make sure you have, uh, make sure you have support and have champions for you, whether it be your family or other, uh, people in the business, um, that'll, that'll help market yourself. So I think I started saying that by communication, but, uh, I think that, think that all works. Yes. Well, yeah, but broader than just communicating with customers. Yeah. That was it was an interesting thing, and one of the people, one of the things I tell people when they're talking about pursuing something like CCIE, is is that like the first thing you have to do is go get buy in from anybody who expects to have your time. Yes. Right. So that go talk to your if you have mm -hmm. a wife or a husband or a partner or a spouse or whatever, go talk to them um, and make sure that they're on board and they understand what you're getting into, and that you both are are saying it's worth whatever sacrifice that needs to happen. Mm -hmm. If you have kids, it depends on how old your kids are. Maybe you don't have the conversation, but like you have to let them know like what's, what's coming. So they have an expectation of like, dad's going to disappear for a little while. Right. Yeah. Dad, dad, dad's mm -hmm. going to be, and, and dad, I don't, that whole, you know, CCIE progression, you know, you start off with no certifications and you look, you know, all dressed very smartly and and whatever and by the time you make it to ccie you're like you look like the guy that's like the caveman on the, like into the picture right <laughs> yeah. yeah right like you look like that you look like that um like you're just setting those expectations with people uh about what that is and i think that this is very very similar is the idea is like hey i'm doing this thing i want to do this thing but i need to make sure that we're in it together right and if we're not maybe we shouldn't do this thing mm -hmm. because ultimately it's going to affect both of us, if we're living together, or it's going to affect our family if there are kids involved, uh, or if there's anyone else in those types of relationships. And that's, that, I think it's a really, really great point. Yeah. And I don't think it's unique to contracting, like anytime there's a job change or, you know, where there's a move involved or whatever, it's probably important to have those. But I, I find it's, uh, you know, I, I find it's important when you're, to me, that's a major life change is going from... Right. There's yeah, more of significant. it. Well, you, you're assuming some risk that didn't exist before is really what it comes down to. It's like, I, I look at it that way because if you have an absolute, you know, your job changes as smooth as it possibly could be and you're just going from one position to another, you know, like, yeah, you're going to have a conversation, but it's not going to be to the same depth as something like I'm, I'm, I'm going to quit my job. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go find customers. Yeah. We're going <laughs> to be my own boss. We're gonna call I'm not going to get a steady check every two weeks. Yeah. Like, like, you know, like those are bigger things that assume some risk. Right. But have an upside reward. And you say, is this a risk that we're that we're looking to do? And I'm not saying that to be negative about it, but it's just reality. Mm -hmm. Like both of you guys took out and took a risk to pursue the thing. Well, maybe not Jody, because Jody just is like, I would like a check, period. <laughs> but there's there still was some risk that was involved in making that decision. And, and, and that's that's just what needs to be communicated. Mm -hmm. Excellent points on, on both accounts. So so I think we'll wrap up the show. I'd like people to be able to find you and reach out to you and talk to you about the things that we talked about on the show. So if you could share uh, where people can find you on social media, blogs, those type of things. Jody, why don't we start with you? Okay, I can be found at, at Ghost in the Net on Twitter. I blog at, at ghostinthenet.info. Um, fairly easy to remember. You blog at, at ghostinthenet.info? Or is it ghostinthenet.info? 
Oh yeah. yeah, sorry. Too many ads. I do Twitter more Ghost than web. The, sorry, ghostinthenet.info. I've written where can people find you? Yeah, um, first of all, I want to say thank you for having me on the show. And uh, you can find me in three main places. I am on LinkedIn. Um, you can find me, I blog at brunowallman.com. And uh, my Twitter handle is super simple too. It's at Wallman Bruno. Oh, so you're mixing them up there. I, yes. Making it confusing <laughs> for people depending on where the people are going to find you. It's all right. I just included the at. He just reversed everything. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you'd like to chat with me you probably already know this but i'm at bc jordo on twitter uh jordan martin jordanmartin.net is the blog uh if you like this episode you could find many more just like it at the networkcollective.com if you'd like to engage and chat with network collective as as the podcast uh we're on twitter at netcollectivepc and you can find us on facebook and linkedin just by searching for network collective uh thanks to everyone for listening uh, thanks to, uh, to Jody and Bruno for joining me today on the show. Thanks for inviting us, Jordan. Thank you. And we'll see everyone next time.